Um, I'm Sarah Muma. I'm a pediatric oncologist uh, serving at AC Kijabe Hospital. I've been at Kijabe for about 12 years now, but uh, focusing more on oncology or generally on cancer care for six to seven years now. For me, my cancer story is uh, I had an experience with cancer, very early experience with cancer, when my mother had um, gastric cancer during my early teenage years. And what I remember about that time is her strength and her faith in God. I don't think I really knew much. Certainly, I didn't really know much about cancer or really what it meant and what the treatment was all about. Um, I do recall her going for chemotherapy sessions, for radiotherapy. I remember some surgery being done and it was certainly a period of a lot of anxiety. During that time, as a teenager, probably I didn't, you know, really grasp everything around it. But much later, as you know, over the years, as I thought through everything and tried to process, what struck me is just her faith in God and how that strengthened her for that journey. Really, just a very difficult journey because I do recall things like the side effects and, you know, changes like weight loss. I do recall all that. Mostly, I remember how strong her faith in God was, her praying for us all the time and, you know, her unwavering faith in God and her trust in him that um, he would carry her through this journey. It also, you know, struck me how she still fully believed in God as a healing God, uh, despite her not, um, you know, recovering from that in, in terms of, you know, she passed on, but... Uh, she had faith that God is still a healing God, and He is. He is a healing God. Um, he is our healer. He is our protector. And um, she also had a really deep trust that God would take care of her children and her family even after she was gone, because at some point she certainly began to talk to us as someone who is living. But her faith was so strong that we would be fine and that God was in control, and He truly was in control over the years. As we continued with school, it was very difficult. My siblings and I, we, are four, we were four teenagers at the time, so a very difficult time, all processing, you know, who are you, yourself, and yet at the same time without your mom, who uh, for me that felt like a, you know, a huge part of my life had just disintegrated. But it is true that God is faithful and he came through for us. Everyone has achieved their goals in life. I always wanted to be a doctor from very young age. I talk about it. I used to treat my dolls and my mom really encouraged me. And during her time of illness, I thought that that passion would die. You know, I thought that that's all there is to sickness, that there's, you know, there's some suffering that I didn't want to interact with again. But... Again, I must say that that is God's doing, that he transformed that so that I, didn't, I don't look at it as, um, you know, taking care of children and even adults with cancer. For me, it's tough. Um, it's tough on a person. It's very difficult. But I realize that walking with God in that journey, he does ease the burden. He does make it lighter. It's quite encouraging to know that we can provide therapies, we can provide palliative care, work together so that, you know, the pain is less, um, the anguish is reduced, and there's comfort. 
and especially there's comfort in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for my mom's salvation um, because being a believer, her faith in God and her trust in him, I'm just grateful for that salvation that she taught us what it means to believe and how to trust in God and have a relationship with um, Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's a lot of comfort too knowing that uh, that was not the end, that we, we will meet again, that one day this, um, this comes to an end and we will meet in heaven. There are times I certainly do miss her a lot, despite it's now, I think, 27 years later, but I still have, you know, moments of a bit of grief still. It's just different, different dynamics. In my teenage years, it was terrible missing and anguish and feeling like my world is over. In my 20s and 30s, it was more of wondering what kind of a relationship we would have had and looking at other, you know, friends who have their moms and wishing for such relationships. Um, in my 40s, it's been more of feeling, you know, what she may have dreamt of achieving and didn't get to achieve. I felt a bit of grief for her that, you know, these are goals and dreams that she certainly had just the same as me. Sometimes wondering what kind of a grandmother she'd have been. But at the end of the day, I realized all those things, God has taken care of them. I've had mothers, I've had aunties who've come through for me, and my children have amazing grandmothers. So I thank God for that experience. And for me, I praise God that he enabled her to go through it with that strength. So even as, as Kijabe Hospital embarks on um, expanding the cancer center, for me this is um, in honor of my mother and of, um, you know, this is just glory to God for how that experience, traumatic and difficult as it was, that he brought so much good out of it. So how did you how did you get into doing oncology? Like why did you decide cuz you were a pediatrician here in Kajabi for what like 5 or 6 years mm -hmm. and then why why the jump to oncology? Yeah. I always say that um oncology chose me. I didn't choose it. <laughs> yeah. During my training, it was a very strange coincidence that I ended up working in, in the oncology section, we had what we called daycare rooms mm. where children with cancer were getting their treatment. And really everyone did on average about three months during in a three-year period. Mm. My residency was at University of Nairobi oh, at Kenyatta okay. Hospital. Yeah. yeah, so it was a very busy time when you had to work in the oncology section. But for me, strangely, I ended up doing more than six months of that. You know, it just would be interesting coincidences that I was the only person who could now work in that in that unit. So that's where I began to feel passionate about it. I was like, ah, okay, this is something I can do. I actually do um, enjoy talking with the children, encouraging the moms. And then, you know, of course, now when I came to Kijabe right after that residency, it just remained at the back of my mind. But then we had, we began having children we were taken care of together with the surgeons and we're not happy with their outcomes when we'd refer them and hear that, oh, you know, maybe they had delays in treatments, they had challenges, accessing chemotherapy. And then an opportunity just presented itself where my husband was going for a pediatric surgery, his fellowship, part of his fellowship in South Africa. And we're like, oh, we'll just travel as a family. So by accompanying him, coincidentally again, and I think not coincidence, God's doing, 
that the only available spot for me to work and train in that hospital was in the cancer unit. And only one space for exactly one year at the exact same time when he was there. So at that point, I just accepted this and was like, thank God he's saying something. So that's mm -hmm. how my training began. And so I had my one year of training in South Africa and continued to pursue further training in Germany through a two-year course. And yeah, that found me here. Came back to, I was back in Kenya. And uh, I'm glad that the hospital also uh, took that faith journey with me, opening a unit with just one child and, you know, starting everything afresh. And the unit has grown to be giving chemotherapy to about 20 patients per day and thousands of patients a year. Yeah. Wow. What is the landscape for cancer care in Kenya. Is it possible for somebody to become an oncologist in Kenya or does everybody have to go overseas? Mm. In terms of uh, training, opportunities for training have increased tremendously mm. over the years. At the moment, there's local training available for mm. almost all aspects of oncology training. Mm. So for our adult colleagues, there's a medical oncology training at Kenyatta National Hospital through the University of Nairobi and also at Aga Khan University Hospital. And then for pediatrics, there is training at uh, Moi Teaching and Referral Hospital in Eldoret. So uh, that's for pediatric uh, hematology oncology. So... Um, there's also radiation oncology training, which is also at the University of Nairobi in KNH. So the opportunities are there. The challenge for training uh, generally in Kenya is funding. Uh, many times um, there are those who are willing, but uh, if programs are not funded, it's very difficult because at that point, by the time people are choosing to pursue oncology, most of the doctors have families, they have people depending on them getting that time and uh, financial support is the main hindrance but there are you know programs coming up support uh, being looked for but for sure the numbers the numbers of oncologists that we need is way more than what we are currently training so the hope is that that will continue to increase mm. what is the need in in Kenya versus what is currently able to be provided do you have any idea yeah, I can, I can, you know, speak slightly into it. For example, uh, certainly I can talk more about pediatric oncology. We only have about 10 or so pediatric oncologists in the whole of Kenya. We know that our population is more of children than adults. We are a country that has almost 50% of its population under 15 years. So having only 10 oncologists to all the children with cancer in the country is a very small number. Uh, so the need there, we need to be uh, at least 40 or 50 to actually make a dent. Having currently patients therefore have to travel long distances to get to a treatment center. For the adult colleagues, the ratios are still far from taken care of because while we see about 3,000 um, children with cancer in a year treated, for the adults, that's about 10 times that number. So even the number of uh, radiation oncologists and medical oncologists is very small in comparison. So we are barely barely hitting the target and patients do have to struggle to get to see an oncologist. Long waiting times or long travel times and that of course comes with the challenges of especially cost to patients in the traveling and meeting their dates for treatment and getting to be seen by a doctor. Yeah. Mm. 
How is cancer care paid for in Kenya? Cancer care in Kenya is, um, you know, we have the National Health Insurance Fund. So that's the national insurance that uh, all Kenyans are required to contribute to. Previously, some many years back, it was not paying for cancer therapy, but we thank God that that changed. And currently, this NHIF does pay for cancer treatments. Of course, uh, with such a limited resource, um, they, the, the payment is just for a number of cycles in a year. It's limited. So you may find a patient may require, for example, 12 cycles of treatment in a year, but the NHIF will cap it at six. It's difficult. You can see it from the angle of NHIF that, you know, you want to reach more people and uh, offer this care to more. But then at the same time, it's also difficult from the oncologist side that if a patient gets partial treatment, what do you do with the rest of the year? You know, you have patients who cannot afford the out-of-pocket. Also, some things are not paid for by NHIF. There are certain investigations that don't get paid for. And the testing for cancer is very expensive. There's a lot of CT scans or MRIs, and NHIF can only pay for a few of those. So it can pay for one, let's say it pays for one MRI per patient per year. And you may request even three. So it means the patient must pay for the rest. So there's, there's a lot of challenges in terms of patients actually getting their full treatment fully catered for, despite them contributing to the NHIF. Yeah, so there's a gap there. There's a gap that some that many patients can only get about half to three quarter of really what they require for the whole year. And you know, if you're looking at also the time it takes us to make a diagnosis, while you want that time to be short, you realize that there are certain specialized lab tests. Sometimes the scans that the patient requires those are not being catered for by NHIF. So you have a very long time when people are looking for resources to pay and get their tests done. And so we end up having late presentation. And of course, with late presentation, we now tend to have poorer outcomes. Yeah, so many Kenyans, there's this NHIF, which should support and does support, but is inadequate. And then uh, in the African culture, we have social insurance, where you know families will maybe form a WhatsApp group and try to raise some money. But of course, you can understand with such, uh, if it was a one-off event, maybe people would support more. But when you think of the chronicity of the treatment and the duration, even the patient's report, at some point, family members don't even want to hear from them because they have given almost all that they have and you still need more. And this probably gets a little bit into something I've been learning about is stigma around cancer. What do, what do Kenyans think about cancer? Like, how do they perceive it? What is it like for somebody who gets diagnosed with cancer? How are they perceived within their community? Yeah, it truly is. There's quite some stigma that surrounds a cancer diagnosis uh, not only in Kenya, but I would say generally on the African continent. And I, I want to guess it might be the same in other low-middle-income countries. But I would say especially even culturally in the African context, once a person is diagnosed with cancer, you know, there's just the belief that this is absolutely a death sentence. Yes, I, I, I don't want to refuse that it's a devastating diagnosis. It is it is devastating, and um, as oncologists, sometimes we say that, you know, getting a cancer diagnosis immediately feels, for patients as they describe, it feels like 
facing death, uh, you know, looking at death in the face. So that's the first, the first reaction. And maybe this begins also from the fact that it's only now that we are beginning to see better outcomes. But for the longest time, when, for example, radiation therapy was hardly available, it was just at the National Hospital, as it slowly rolls out to other counties, it means that for many Kenyans, that access wasn't even there. They, you know, radiation therapy was just a possibility or a story. And so, yes, we certainly had poor outcomes. So it begins from there that people for the longest time saw that anyone who had cancer ultimately either didn't get all their treatments or would die from it. So there's immediate belief that this is just absolutely a death sentence. And we have the whole range from patients who are like, you know, it's fine, I'm dying and I'm not going to pursue any treatments. We have those who really want to get their treatments and are so committed, but financially they are struggling and you know they will not get everything. And we have those who even are going through the treatment, but secretly they even keep it away from their family members because they, they feel that if I would tell my family members, then immediately everyone has already said, this one is dying, they have started discussing your property and how to divide things. So the, the stigma around it comes from that, um, that history in the past, and just generally some beliefs culturally. There is also a lot of belief that uh, it is a curse. So in those who believe it is a curse, therefore, that's another reason they'll not disclose. They'll not disclose or they may stay in denial for a very long time, refusing the diagnosis and trying to look for what is this curse? What is the reason behind it? While we are a country with a very high percentage of uh, Christians and believers, uh, there's also the aspect that people feel that uh, you can pray this away, that we will pray and the disease will disappear. And it's difficult, especially even working in a faith-based institution where we certainly believe in the power of our Lord as healer, but also we do accept that uh, even in our faith, uh, that God will allow certain aspects of suffering in our lives and not everyone may get that healing that they so desire. God's will is still fulfilled, but many people feel that if they, they end up dying from that cancer or if uh, they actually have cancer, God is not with them. He has, there is something they have done and they are now receiving a curse. So these myths are there and we struggle with them. We talk with patients about them and try to change the narrative. So for example, in Kijabe, we do have spiritual support. We have pastors who work with them, with our patients. Uh, we cooperate prayer and faith in this journey, uh, but still really encourage our patients, let's uh, continue with the chemotherapy, with radiotherapy, with surgery as required, and trust God for the journey and the process and the outcome. Yeah. Wow. One of my best friends is an oncologist. He talks about that change um, that cancer in the U.S. is a chronic disease. It's no longer a death sentence. It's a chronic. It's a chronic illness, mm-hmm. which brings a whole new set of complications. You know, mm-hmm. but you're managing it over five, ten, twenty, you know, thirty years. Mm-hmm. And ideally, I mean, for best outcomes, and you see, this is what you specialize in. Is like you you go through treatment, and it's just a checkup every so often, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. hopefully you're good to go. So that's the dream. I think that we get more to that point. But then also what you're talking about with this with this perception and faith. Um, mm-hmm. It's why Ariana really latched on to this cancer center project mm-hmm. is 
the opportunity that Kajabi has as a faith-based hospital to speak into the perception of cancer mm-hmm. in Kenya. It really gets me excited that mm-hmm. Kajabi has this opportunity as an organization to lead in how cancer care is perceived in Kenya and sharing what hope looks like mm-hmm. in Jesus in the real world. Yes. Maybe a good way how to phrase it. Kajabi specific. You shared a little bit of the journey, how we progressed. What do, what do we want to do to get from where, maybe you could share where we are currently and then where we want to be in hmm. three years or five years or 10 years or 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Um, we actually began offering, um, well, we've, we've provided oncology services for very many years. We, um, we, I can say we began especially with the surgical oncology. So we've had um, excellent breast oncology services. We have generally all surgical oncology services are offered here. We have our orthopedic surgeons, general surgeons. For the longest time, patients would have surgery but not have other aspects of uh, cancer care. So we delved into chemotherapy services from about 2015 onwards. And that grew slowly, began initially as a pediatric um, chemotherapy unit. And then uh, we grew to begin offering the same service to adult patients. So after that, we so now we offer great surgical oncology services and chemotherapy services. And we do have also, we link our patients to radiation oncology. Um, however, we would like to see that we can give this comprehensive service within Kijabe Hospital. We anticipate that in the next five years, we should have radiotherapy as well so that we don't have to have patients having their therapy in different areas, though we always try to close that loop so that the follower continues very well. We have our palliative services. We have a palliative team. We have a chaplaincy team. We offer as well psychology services for all our patients. So we are working toward giving comprehensive cancer care to all of our patients. We don't want it to be that there's one aspect they required and they needed to get it somewhere else. And as you very well uh, explained, yeah, that's because for us, it's not only, you know, a medical journey. There's the spiritual component. It's a spiritual journey that patients are walking and we are walking as well. And uh, we've had patients come to Christ from listening to other patients, from interacting with our chaplains, with our palliative team, with uh, the oncology team. It's more than just giving medical care. It is giving hope. It is preparing for our life after death. Like, because all of us eventually will die. Maybe from cancer, maybe not. Maybe something else. But the bigger picture, our salvation. So that is what uh, the focus is on. Currently, for chemotherapy per se, we currently manage about 3,000 patients a year. We hope to triple that with this expansion. So yes, that's daunting to think that, you know, maybe by next year, we just jump from 3,000 to 9,000. But um, the team feels ready for it. We are trying to equip equip ourselves, um, you know, with the right equipment, the right human resource, numbers-wise and and just quality-wise. So we are trying to equip ourselves in that way, but we are for sure looking forward to that kind of an expansion. Awesome. I'm bracing myself for it also. Because <laughs> currently with Friends of Gujabi, yes. we're, we're trying to provide somewhere around 300,000 shillings, so maybe 2,500 or 3,000 US dollars a month for mm-hmm. 
chemo care. Mm-hmm. I can assume that that need will triple. <laughs> maybe more than that, maybe less. We will see what happens. I think for me, it was really helpful realizing how integral comprehensive cancer care, it is what we do in Kajabi. It touches just about every department in the whole hospital. You mentioned surgical pathology, the lab, diagnostics. Yeah. Nutrition. Yeah, nutrition, outpatient, inpatient. Every every clinician in the hospital touches cancer in some way or other. So it's a really big deal. Yeah. But that again, that's that speaks to the opportunity we have in Kajabi. We do have amazing multidisciplinary care. So there's huge opportunities. Yeah, so this year end we're doing the cancer center. Our next our next big project will be we're working on a name, but I want to call it a multidisciplinary center. Um, it's outpatient plus lab plus diagnostics plus uh, all the specialized things that we really want to do. Um, the cancer care center that we're talking about right now would address really outpatient needs. Like how do we how do we have more clinic space? How do we have more chemo space? How do we improve flow? How do we improve your staff conditions to make it safe for the staff and safe for the patients? Um, patients need to be separate, mm-hmm. ideally from the general population of, yeah. of, of sick people coming into the hospital. That's one of the things this does. Yeah. Um, so that's step one is to address this current um, current need for providing good outpatient care. But then the next step will be really increasing diagnostics and inpatient. How do we get to, we have pediatric inpatient, but we also want to provide adult inpatient. I'm lobbying for that. I lobbied yesterday. (laughs) Thank you. Because it's it's all of these things put together that really allows us to do great work, allows you to do great work. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Anything else we should talk about? Um, you don't have to say a patient name, but maybe you could just like think of a patient and describe what that process looks like for a, for a specific mm. patient diagnosis that you have in mind. Yeah. An example I can give, um, allow me to still speak about children. That's great. <laughs> Those are the ones I'm taking care of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, I can give an example of a child who was brought from uh, Narok and really Masai Mara, very interior, was brought by some well-wishers. Uh, this child was an orphan, and uh, but these were uncles and well-wishers who brought the child to hospital. Turns out the child had uh, a Wilms tumor, so a tumor in the kidney. And immediately the child arrives here. For us, we will see the child any day. We try not to, especially for children, limit them to clinic days. But we certainly have clinic, you know, the waiting time for our clinic, even for the adult clinic, is literally that same week. If you come this week, you will be seen this week. If you come next week, next week. So we don't have that delay. But the patient will certainly be seen by our oncology team. We immediately as well as with our palliative team who help us to disclose the diagnosis once we've done some investigations. The investigations usually for our lab as well, we will coordinate so that they book a convenient time for the child. So if they need some sedation, we organize for that. And then the child will get their imaging done. In terms of blood tests and if we do, for example, a biopsy, if we require that, the surgical team, we run our clinic on the same day. We have the oncology clinic and the surgical clinic on the same day so that it allows immediately cross-consultation. 
So there are patients we even see together. We will uh, walk to the surgical clinic and discuss, or the surgeons will walk towards us and discuss. This is the same even for the adult patients. While our adult oncology clinic is running, you'll have surgeons walking up and uh, coming to discuss a patient with the oncologist, or they'll call each other and just discuss immediately. So that's an element of uh, the multidisciplinary care, that it is seamless. There are, there are no delays. They know, there's no sending a patient across to another clinic. It's literally immediate, let's talk about this and let's have a plan, you know, let's have a personal plan for this patient. So back to my patient. The, for this one, the imaging was adequate. The radiology is adequate to make a diagnosis. And once that is made, and for the lab as well, the blood tests we require will be done. We start chemotherapy and the surgeons are also aware we are beginning chemotherapy. And the patient continued with that journey until after the few weeks of chemotherapy, they needed surgery. At that point, we have our multidisciplinary team meeting. So we have a meeting with the surgeons where, you know, we repeat the imaging and discuss the plan for this patient. It doesn't matter how simple or complex that plan is, but we try to discuss all our patients so that we are walking the journey together. So surgeons will now recommend their plan and the child went for surgery, which was successful. With the tumor removed, our pathology departments also takes up now from that point. So they needed to give us our report and the turnaround time is it's less than two weeks. Within two weeks, we know features of the tumor, um, whether we have high risk or just standard risk or, you know, we know the risk features of this tumor and we can plan for the next steps of treatment. So our pathology department also gets us um, immunohistochemistry, which is specialized tests that are required on most tumors. <clears throat> Some of it outsourced, but we know they are working towards also ensuring that that is a service that is offered within uh, the hospital. And our pathologists and radiologists also join our multidisciplinary team meeting. So they're also aware they are expecting the sample at a certain time and give us feedback soon after. Then from there, the child continued with chemotherapy, finished and uh, is actually on follow-up. Maybe this goes into a bit of our, our myths and, <laughs> and all because the child uh, they prefer not to come for formal follow-up. There's this belief that if you keep coming for follow-up, you're trying to look for the disease again. But they call, they faithfully call, they faithfully call on the time of their visits and just tell us, you know, it's a bit difficult to get there, but the child is doing very well. She's in school. She's in school. She's, I think, now in grade four, but doing quite well. So that's how we try to work as a multidisciplinary team. Our adults colleagues as well also have their multidisciplinary team meetings faithfully every Monday morning discussing cases between the surgeons, the pathologists, radiologists, the oncologists. So we always sit and try, especially uh, for them, their numbers are way higher. So they may discuss, you know, a few challenging cases, but at the end of the day, it's to get this personalized plan for a patient, tweak it to suit this patient and remove any delays. So that, I think, is the greatest part about how we work as a multidisciplinary team. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you um, so much, Ali. Yeah. yeah.